Good morning. And I love Clark. I love seeing his video and I love seeing what God is, is doing in his life and has done in his life. I feel like any, the, the benefit I think of seeing these videos is seeing uh, people around this church that you notice the life change in that you see like where they were and where they are now because of what God has done. And, and, and I love actually what he said about, about his plan versus God's plan because that's, that's very much what we're gonna talk about today, like uh, trying to figure out God's plan for our life rather than our own. Um, well, I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. My name is John. If I haven't met you, I'm the family ministries pastor here at the church. Um, I typically uh, am upstairs with the middle and high school students, uh, which I think they're in here today, uh, which I'm excited about. Um, but it's always an honor to get to speak with you. Um, and today, and really this whole kind of process writing today's message has been a challenge for me uh, because I have a personality type that doesn't like things that get in the way, like spontaneous things that just kind of throw you off your game. And, and, and I feel like the devil has been giving me his best. Like he's been like trying to really get me off my game. And, and like this morning, I went out to my car and it wouldn't start because my daughter turned the dome light on and I didn't realize it. And so when I got out to turn the car on, it wasn't starting, so I had to, to jump the battery. Yesterday, I woke up with a really, like, painfully stiff neck, um, which I don't know if you guys have experienced that, but it's, like, the kind that make you walk around like a robot because you can't turn your body, and then, like, someone, like, gets your attention over here, and, and you strain your neck even more trying to, to look at them. And then, like, just all of these things, sick kids and, you know, just... We had technical difficulties this morning. I feel like everything is just, you know, trying to throw me off. And, and I have a personality type that does not do well with that. Uh, Myers-Briggs, uh, if you guys know what that is, says that I'm an INFJ. Anybody in here? INFJ? Paige. Uh, we are 1%. Oh, Jeremy. We're 1% of the population. Like 1% is INFJ. It's this weird hybrid personality type. Because we, like, on one hand, we're organized, we like plan, we like structure. On the other, we're kind of creative and uh, in the moment, and we, we feed off of our emotions. And so it's this weird type of hybrid personality where if stuff gets in the way, like, it just frustrates me, it makes me anxious, because the plan is not working out. And so Pastor Jason has, has learned this about me, and so he knows I like advance notice because of my personality type anytime he asked me to do something. And so he gave me about a four-month heads up that he was going to ask me to preach today. Um, four months. Yeah, you would think that would work in my favor. It did not. Um, it did not because immediately when he told me, I'm like, okay, great. And uh, you know, I'm going to preach on November 26th. And that's my birthday, by the way. Uh, so thanks for coming to my birthday party. Um, and so you would think it would work in my favor. Um, I, I jotted down all these notes. I, I was getting ideas and all of this stuff over a course of four months. Then I got to this week, and I basically trashed it all um, because everything that I was trying to do was not God's plan. And so he was wrestling with me through this, and I was getting frustrated because I'm getting closer and closer to Sunday, and I'm sitting in my office, and, and I'm trying to figure out uh, this message that I, I thought I was going to preach 
And as I'm thinking, I'm looking up at my wall in my office, and I see a picture hanging on the wall. It was this picture right here. Um, This picture has been on my office pretty much since the day I moved into it. Um, It's a famous scripture, Romans 12. It's on T-shirts, coffee mugs. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this scripture. Um, And and so it's been on my wall long enough to the point where it's kind of just a fixture on the wall. Like, it's invisible at this point. I walk by it. I don't think about it. I don't read it. It's just there. And as I was thinking that, God started to really move in my heart and convict me that, that for so much, so many of us, and actually even for me, we treat our faith like that. At one point, we're, we're excited. We give our faith to Jesus. We, we pray a prayer and we take a step. And then, over time, that excitement just kind of wears off. We get less and less um, attention and, and focus to the faith that's in our life. It's kind of just become a picture hanging on the wall. And so immediately, like, I, I started thinking about this, and, and I was looking closer at the picture, and the lines right in the middle popped out to me because we don't use these words too often, but it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. So we don't use zeal and fervor too often. Um, I, I don't know too many people that do, but these, both of these words mean just about the same thing. They, they mean enthusiasm, energy, intensity, motivation, things that, that should be describing a follower of Jesus. As Paul's saying this, like he's saying this is what should be describing a follower of Jesus. You should be intense, enthusiastic, energy, like you should have all of this stuff. You should be motivated. But he's saying, don't lose it. Don't lack this stuff because he knows. He knows that over time we're gonna get busy. We're gonna get distracted in, in that enthusiasm, that energy, the stuff that was once brand new to us is wearing off. And so he urges us and, and he warns us, like, don't lose it. Don't lose it. And so many of us treat our faith the same way. And I think it's because we're busy. If you think about it, as, as a culture, if you look around, if you have conversations with us, we are all busy. We all say we're busy we, and it, to the point where it's really exhausting. And I've experienced this more than ever lately. Like, I, I have two young kids a four-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old that is potty training. So it's a lot of fun all the time in our house. Um, and so uh, this has been such a, a new challenge that, like, I feel like all of my energy is getting spent by 8 o'clock. Um, and then so, like, 8 o'clock rolls around and I'm ready for bed because of all that is being asked and required of me. And I think most of us in this room would say that, like, it feels like everything in our life requires 100% of us the math doesn't add up. Like, we don't have 100% to give to everything. And so, like, what, you know, is needed from us and and what we have to give is just, like, constantly living in balance. It's constantly out of sync, and it wears us down. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think, would anybody in this room say, "You, you feel this too? You feel busy. You find yourself saying, man, I'm so busy especially this time of year, right? Like, especially from here out through Christmas. Like, the holiday season is just chaotic. 
There's so much to do on top of everything else that, that always needs to be done. And so, so I think we find ourselves in this situation and it wears us down. And, and even when we're not busy, it's almost like fed its way into that. We live in the illusion of busyness to where when we have downtime, we still feel busy. And if we feel this way, I think we need to ask ourselves the question, why? Why do I feel so busy? Why, why am I exhausted? Why is it worth it? Like, is what I'm pouring myself into actually worth it? And I think we'll find that we're all so busy for the same reason. Like from the beginning of time, all people, no matter how different, how diverse, whatever background you come from, I think busyness at its core is because we all want to flourish. In other words, we wanna be successful. We want the best life. I think we all want the best life. And everyone in our lives, our teachers, parents, everyone has told us how to get there. And so we form this kind of roadmap to get to the best life. And it, and it looks like this. If I get good grades and I get into the right school, then I'll get the right job, I'll make the right amount of money, get the house, the car, the, you know, the family, the dog. Mine does not include a dog. I don't know, some of yours it does, mine doesn't. Um, but you know what I mean, right? Like all of our life we're told, hey, here's the roadmap if you wanna be successful. Here's the roadmap. And so we work our fingers to the bone and, and we're trying to find that place of contentment. We're trying to, to get to a place where we can finally rest, but it's a moving target. It's a moving target. Every time we think, man, this is gonna be it. This is gonna make me content. This is gonna bring me the most joy. As soon as we get there, the target moves. Anybody ever experienced that? It's like getting the present you wanted forever. Like all year long, you're waiting on this Christmas present as a kid and you get it two weeks later, it's lost. Like you forgot all about it. That happens so often in our lives. And so, so we work and we work and we work and we keep ourselves busy trying to get to that place and it's wearing us down and we're never finding it. And God has known this all along. God has known it all along because these things don't bring lasting contentment and joy. Only he does. And so we, from the very beginning, have had this desire. And, and today I don't want to talk about the things we pursue as much as the desire to pursue. Because that desire is good. Like the, the desire to pursue and to climb the ladder and to succeed, that is actually from God. We have it because we were created in the image of God, and he is a creator, he's an innovator, like he's constantly wanting us to push forward and to grow. And so that desire to climb the ladder, like that's not a bad thing, it's good. What happened was sin entered the world and, and our roadmap got off because he was no longer at the center of it, he was no longer the purpose and the mission, it was building our own life. And so we became the center of the roadmap, not God. And so he is trying to re-steer us to this map, but, but you know, we have this desire, and that desire is good because God wants us to climb the ladder. It's just the ladder of faith. It's the ladder of a relationship with him. It's, it's climbing this relationship with him to get closer and closer and closer. But it makes so much more sense to us when it's, in the workplace. Because in the workplace, if I, if I 
continue to succeed, I get more money. I get days off, I get more perks. I get a promotion in school. If I get good grades, then, then I'll hopefully get into a good college, then I'll get a good job, and, and then I'll be able to continue working on all of this stuff. And what happens is because that's the roadmap we were told about all of our lives, faith in our relationship with God seems to take a back seat to that. And then we find ourselves more drained and more lost, continuing to find this contentment that is a moving target. So I want to talk today um, out of a, a letter written by the Apostle Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, if you want to turn there, uh, pull it up on your YouVersion Bible app, or uh, it will be up on the screen, uh, but 2 Peter chapter 1. And this letter was written by the Apostle Peter right before he was dying. So like he was about to be crucified, upside down, like this gruesome death. It wasn't pretty at all, right? And he knew this was going to happen. And so he spends his last days trying to be productive, trying to write out his thoughts everything he can think of to the church as a whole, to all of us. He tries to use his years of experience to actually give us a roadmap to grow in our faith. And so I want to look at this letter today, and, and if we know that about him, that, that he was approaching death, like he's not wasting his time. Some of you might have a bucket list. I don't know what's on it. I might not want to know what's on some of your bucket lists. Um, but here's what I know about you. You're not going to waste your time. If you know you have a little bit left, you're not going to waste it. And so Peter was making every, every minute, every second count the best way he knew how. And so that tells us this letter is really important. So let's start reading um, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, it says, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So right away, that sounds like something we could skip over. It's like a like Dear Hope City Church from John. Like that's kind of what it is. But what, what he says is actually way deeper in that. It's way more important. He's saying that the faith you have was given to you by Jesus the righteousness of Jesus, meaning you don't have to earn it. You don't have to earn your faith. So right off the bat, he's saying like, faith is a gift from God. It's open to anyone. It's open to everyone. All you have to do is put your faith in it. And then the very first part, he says, those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. That is a huge point because he's saying that our faith, my faith, is no different than Peter's. That your faith is no different than Peter's or mine or Pastor Jason's or whoever you look up to. And this is really important for us to get because we tend to put people on a pedestal. We tend to think like, I could never be as faithful as them. I could never achieve that. I could never get to that place. Or, you know, we compare ourselves to all these people. And, and it, right away, Peter's saying, no, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Our faith is equal. Meaning, if Peter was on this stage right here, we would probably freak out a little bit, but like, he is no different than me. He's no different than you. The same calling that was on Peter's life is on mine and it's on yours. 
The same ability that Peter had was on me and it's on you. So he's leveling the playing field. And I think that's huge because, I mean, you might say there's no way. There's no way. Like you look at yourself and you think, here's where I'm at and, you know, that person is, is way up here. That pastor that I look up to is, is way up here. And, and you compare and you feel inferior. But Peter would say, me too. If you look at the life of Peter, like from early on, he was, he was a royal screw up. Like he, he cut off a guy's ear. He was arrogant. He got in arguments with Jesus. He, he denied Jesus when Jesus was convicted. And so Peter didn't have it all together. We tend to think these people did, but, but he didn't have it all together. As he's writing this letter, this is 30, or 30 years in ministry, like 30 years later in ministry. So it takes time. So if anything, this should tell us like there's hope for us. If Peter can do it, I can do it. Like if Peter is someone that, that has done all of this for God, the same guy who like, who helped build the church, the same guy who walked side by side with Jesus, the same guy who, who wrote books in the Bible, like if he has done all of this and he was a screw up, there's hope for me. There's hope for me, there's hope for you. So it's huge that we understand we're on an equal playing field. Then he goes on to say, verse two, uh, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God has given us everything we need to succeed in life and godliness. We tend to think he hasn't. We tend to think we don't have it all together, but, but it says God has already given us everything we need to succeed in life and godliness. And then he says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Don't forget that. Having escaped from the corruption of the world through sinful desires. What is divine nature? Out of all of that information, I, I want us to grasp what divine nature is. It is a life full of blessing and a life free from sin. I want that. I don't know if you want that, like, I, I feel like you should. It's full of blessing and it's freedom from sin. He's saying, I've given you everything you need to have that. And if we think about that, that what does that look like? It's, it's heaven on earth. Like, we don't have to wait till we die to experience heaven. We can experience it now. It can start now. Through the divine nature, God has given us everything we have to experience heaven on earth. It can start now. It can start in your life now. And so he says, as he goes on, like, with all of this in mind, so since you know that you're on a level playing field, that God's given you everything you need, that, that you can start to experience the best life right here, right now. Since you know that, make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort. I love that phrase because it's like Peter is saying, like, I know it's gonna be hard, but you can do it. I know it's gonna be challenging. I know things are gonna pop in your way and throw you off the, the road, but, but you can do it. Make every effort. And make every effort to what? Add to your faith. Meaning, faith gets you in the door. 
Faith saves you. Faith is to be celebrated. Faith is an amazing thing, but it's first base. Don't stay there. You gotta add to your faith. Not so that you go to heaven because faith gets you to heaven, but if you wanna experience the best life here and now, you gotta add to your faith. And so let's look. He gives us this list, which is awesome for the type A people in the room. Um, So if you're a list taker, this is a perfect time to write something down, pull out your notepads, um, and, and he gives us the list. Here's what I think you should add to your faith. Goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Those things seem simple to us as we think about them, but if you were to do a self-assessment, you realize how much harder they really are. Those things have a lot of weight to them. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna break them down slightly, very quickly, just to get us all on the same page about what they are, uh, because I, I think it's important that we understand what Peter is asking us and calling us to here. So goodness, goodness is simply moral excellence. Like, do good things, stop doing bad things. It's as simple as that. Like, you know, you have a moral compass in your heart. You know what's right, you know what's wrong. You're to start doing the good things and stop doing the bad things. But the most important thing to realize about the goodness, moral excellence, is that like that does not save you. That does not work your way to faith. This is something that you put your faith in Christ and, and now you desire to be good. It comes afterwards. He listed it afterwards for a reason. Because you've put your faith, you desire to be good. And then add to goodness, knowledge. Knowledge, I wanna focus here specifically on the word of God because we have an amazing tool to know God, the Bible. It is, we believe it's God's word. We believe that, that it is living, that it is life-changing. And you've been given this gift and so many of us don't open it. Or we believe that, that it's the pastor's job to teach the Bible, but in reality, you're missing out on what God has for you. And I think about my daughter that's two years old, uh, looks at the four-month-old a lot lately and says, I used to do that. Like, I used to drink from a bottle. I used to wear diapers. And my response to her is, yeah, you used to, but you learned how to feed yourself. You used to, but you learned how to go to the bathroom. Like, it's the same way in our faith. God calls us, there's even a scripture that says that like you grow up and you eat real food, no longer the spiritual milk, but spiritual food, right? Like we are called to feed ourselves. And if we're constantly reliant on others to teach the word of God and to give us the knowledge we need about God, we're gonna hit a point where we feel abandoned and we need, we need to be self-sufficient. We need to learn to do it on our own. Don't you wanna get to know the God that you decided to give your life to? This is how to do it. It's not about studying to to be a better person, it's studying to get to know this God. And then you add to knowledge, self-control. Self-control, 
this one, I'm just gonna be bold and blunt here. So often, we, we blame God for our lack of self-control. We say like, God, man, I tried to stop drinking. I tried to not be angry. I tried to walk away from that website or, or to not do that thing. And like, you didn't take away the desire. I prayed, you didn't take away the desire. So I guess I'm out of luck. At some point, we have to decide, kicking, screaming, whatever it takes, we're not gonna go there. I'm gonna walk away from those friends. I'm gonna walk away from that situation. I'm gonna do everything in my power, all the strength I have to tap into in order to not go there. We have to grow in this. Otherwise, it stunts our growth, I think, more than anything else. And I'm just gonna plug it in here real quick. If you're a guy in the room, we're doing a SoulCon challenge. It starts on Monday, so not a whole lot of heads up. It's tomorrow. Um, but like we're... we're we're doing this often, and it's all about discipline. It's all about self-control, and it's such a blessing to grow in this and to walk alongside other men who, who are struggling with the same stuff, and you can grow in discipline together. It's awesome. If you want to learn more about that, you can talk to Daniel Franklin or Joe Strothman, but, uh, but you know, self-control, self-control is key to grow closer to God. You have to say no to stuff. Perseverance. Perseverance, uh, we all feel like quitting, right? This isn't unique to anyone. At some point in your life, you felt like walking away, you felt like quitting something. And, and every time I hear this word, perseverance, it makes me think of a Switchfoot song. Uh, and the lyrics are, I wanna thrive, not just survive. I wanna thrive, not just survive. How many of us in this room would say like, I think I'm just surviving, I'm not thriving. I'm not living the best life. I'm surviving, I'm just getting by. To me, perseverance is the roadblock. Like it's, you have to get on the other side of those hardships, the trials in our life, the things that, that are constantly distracting us and throwing stuff at us. We gotta get on the other side of it. And you have to persevere. You have to get on the other side of that to experience the blessing, right? I've heard that the greatest blessing is always on the other side of, of a trial. I think it's true, like we have to persevere as we grow, we're gonna face trials. As we put our faith in Christ, it doesn't make everything easy. We're gonna face trials, we're gonna face hard things in life and we got to persevere to get on the other side of it. Godliness, this is uh, simply a word for worship. Like we overcomplicate this, but it's, I'm gonna stop saying those words, I'm gonna stop doing that stuff, I'm gonna stop watching those shows. I'm gonna choose to worship God with everything in me. I'm gonna to choose to worship God with what I see, with what I say, with what I do. It's, it's making a choice to set ourselves apart, to be holy, to strive for holiness. And I even see this in my life. Like sometimes I think uh, I have the opportunity to spend some time in the Bible or I could go binge Netflix. You know what sounds more appealing? Netflix, most of the time. You know what I see more fruit from? Spending time in God's word. Spending time with him fills me up, whereas everything else seems to drain me. Mutual affection. Mutual affection is what should be happening in this room. It's, it's also called brotherly affection. It should be happening everywhere we go. We should take this with us. It's supporting, leaning on each other. It's, it's people that like each other and do life together and community. 
One of the best ways you can experience mutual affection is a small group or serving or getting involved in your local community or, or doing something that is outside of yourself. You start to grow and see this taking place and it's a beautiful thing. Then the last one is love. I think our culture has, has kind of twisted our minds a little bit on what love is. It almost seems like love's supposed to be easy. Love shouldn't be any work, uh, but love is a sacrifice. Love is all about sacrifice, and, and love is the most challenging and exhilarating thing you're ever going to experience if you don't give up. And Christ said that, that people will know that we're his by the way we love. So everywhere we go, everything we say, everything we do should, should honestly be a light. It should be radiating love in the dark places, the dark corners of each and every community. So we're called to love. And then Peter ends uh, verse eight. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, it will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought you could be ineffective with your faith? That you could be unproductive? Well, Peter is saying that you can be. If you put your faith in God and you stop growing, it's unproductive. If you just take one step and you stop stepping, it's ineffective. It's unproductive. He, he never called us, God never called us to just set up camp in a comfortable spot and stay there. Like he's constantly pushing us to grow and to stretch ourselves. And, and as we do, we make more of an impact and we see more and more of him in our lives. It's an amazing thing. And then the, the last verse, it says, whoever doesn't have these things is nearsighted and blind. Make every effort to confirm your calling an election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You'll receive a rich welcome. If you do these things, you're not going to stumble. That sounds great for one. And then you'll receive a rich welcome. I want a rich welcome. Do you know what that is? Like, I think of when you go to your grandma's house for Christmas. And like she meets you at the door, you can smell the food, you can feel the warmth, like you get hugs, everyone's excited to see you, like that is a rich welcome. That's what I want when I get to heaven. I don't want to feel like I just barely made the cut, like, yep, come on in. Like I want to, I want to be high-fiving my way into heaven, I want to be celebrating. It's something to be celebrated. And so Peter gives us this list, this roadmap, and he, and he says, you know what, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's gonna be hard, but you can do it. Make every effort, you can do it. I love that he writes it in list form because I'm, I'm a list maker, I'm kind of a nerd um, like that, and, and I'm also a foodie, which means I like trying new restaurants and odd foods, things like that. And so as I was reading this scripture, I, I started to think about a list that I have I have a list of restaurants I want to try. I mean, it's like local restaurants, tons of them. And I have like a spreadsheet. And whenever Christine and I go on a date, 
we, we look at the list and we try to knock out one of those new restaurants. And, and so we move it from like, I want to try that to I have tried that. And so, you know, it just keeps me organized, makes me very happy. Um, and in the process, get to try some really good food. And, uh, you know, it, it's a godly thing. You should respect the list. Um, and, and the thing is, I don't know that I'm ever going to try every restaurant I want to try. That seems impossible to try every restaurant, to go uh, you know, across the world and, and eat at every place I want to eat at. That seems impossible. But if I keep attempting, I'm going to get closer. If I keep trying, if I keep knocking stuff off the list, I'm going to get closer, right? It's inevitable. What if we looked at our faith the same way? Yeah, this list is daunting. Self-control is hard. Persevering is not fun. But if we keep stepping, if we, if we stop, if we get out of this comfortable spot, if we let the, you know, if we brush the busyness of life off, if we, if we keep our faith and our relationship with God front and center, and we keep taking steps, and we keep persevering, and we keep deciding to be self-controlled and, and to keep ourselves in his word and, and focused on the roadmap that God has laid out for us, we're gonna get closer. It's inevitable. If you choose it, you're gonna get closer. Let's pray.